Welcome to another episode of the Climbing Henge Podcast. I just can't trust her. This podcast is going to be all about how we build trust and feelings of safety with our partners, with your wife, your girlfriend, your romantic partner. Now, oftentimes I hear people say, men say, I just can't trust her. I don't know if I can trust her. And what I typically want to say in response to that is, you need to reframe the questions that you're asking. The question isn't, I don't know how I can trust her. The question you want to ask and reframe yourself is, how do I behave in ways that she can trust me, that she can feel safe with me, and that she can be attracted to me? Because if I can do those three things, then she's going to do what? She's going to want the best for me. She's going to want to make me happy. And yes, she's going to feel safe and trusted so that she can open herself up to me and make herself vulnerable to me. And that's what you want. Um, What we're going to do on this podcast is first we're going to explore the differences between men and women when it comes to trust. There's been scientific research on this and there are differences and it's important to know what those differences are because it's it's meaningful and it matters. Second, we're going to give a definition of trust and within that definition we're going to break it down the different words that are involved so we can better understand what it means to have trust. And then third, We're going to explore three dimensions of trust that are important in how each of those dimensions plays out in a relationship and how you can then build trust within each of those dimensions to build a greater overall level of feelings of trust and safety with your partner. Okay, so first of all, what are the differences um, between men and women when it comes to trust? And there's been a lot of scientific research done on this. There's a thing then when it comes to trust. The first major difference is that uh, men are generally speaking more trusting than females. Females are less easily going to give you their trust, right? Females are more risk averse about this So they're more cautious. It takes longer for them to build trust. And trust is a more dynamic thing relating to feelings of safety. And we're gonna talk about what that means. But so, number one, men trust easier. Women trust harder. It takes them longer. Um, They're more risk averse. And they have more to lose in a relationship. They have more to lose by trusting than a man does. And why is that the case? Well, it's always been the case that if a female were to get uh, pregnant, right, um, the man can, he can not be around. He can not be a good father. So she's, she's got to weigh this very carefully and trust the man's intentions and behaviors before she gives herself to him and becomes pregnant. Because once she's pregnant, um, he can do many things that make her become vulnerable. So uh, for females, it's more 
to lose by by trusting so they're they're more cautious it takes longer for them to develop trust also as females are more uh, not as physically present they're not as strong physically as men um, trusting the wrong man in the wrong way can lead them to danger a man is better able to protect himself and a female isn't so females have to be more cautiously aware uh, in trusting a man um, so we know the research says that females take longer to trust they're less trusting than men the research also shows that females display a greater propensity for reciprocation of trust so if I as a man am behaving in trusting ways with a woman Propagate those actions if I'm doing them in a congruent manner. So women are more reciprocal than men. So if as a man you are taking the lead in the relationship and what that's what has to happen. The masculine partner takes the lead in certain specific behaviors to lead to provide a sense of direction about where we're going then the female trusting in this and seeing this positive behavior that they can trust are more likely to reciprocate so as a masculine partner in the relationship your role is to set the pace and lead the relationship in specific ways behaving in safe trusting ways behaving in attractive ways and if you do that it's more likely because females are higher in reciprocity that they will reciprocate the trust that you're putting in them and they will give it back to you anyways you want to change the conversation don't ask the question about well I can't trust her change the conversation to one of how do I specifically need to behave so that my partner my girlfriend my wife will trust me feel safe with me and be attracted to me. If you do those things, it's more likely she's going to follow you and trust you and feel safe with you and she'll want to open herself up and make herself vulnerable to you. All right, uh, let's get into a definition of trust. And this is from Rousseau and work they did in 98. Their definition is this. It is, I, I'm going to become vulnerable to you based upon my positive, ex, based upon positive expectations of your intentions and behaviors. That's a, a definition of trust. Now let's dissect it and what it means. If I'm making myself vulnerable, right? It means I'm, I'm putting myself out there, making myself open to being um, hurt in some way by you. If you don't fulfill... Uh, and meet the positive expectations I have of you. So vulnerability is opening ourselves up and putting ourselves at risk in some way, right? And that's, that's what vulnerable is. If you want your girlfriend, your wife to trust you and make herself vulnerable, then she has to have positive expectations about both your intentions, so what are, what are his intentions, and your behaviors. She has to think your intentions, what you want to do is the right and good thing and that your behaviors will back it up. All right, so let's look at the word expectations. 
Um, it's in the definition. Again, becoming vulnerable based upon positive expectations of intentions or, and behaviors of another. So expectations is important. Well, we just did another podcast on expectations and how it works and how it's tied and intertwined with dopamine. And it, it matters a lot in this situation too to understand it from a trust perspective. If I have positive expectations about you and about something that's gonna happen and you don't meet or exceed them, you fail my expectations for you, I experience a loss. I have a drop in dopamine, I experience a loss with you and it causes me to have pain, right? That impacts then um, my assessments about you for other future, future experiences and I make adjustments about my expectations. So every time you don't meet or exceed your partner's expectations, they're going to experience some form of a loss due to drop in dopamine. And over time, they will then trust you less. So it's really important to manage your partner's expectations and for you to perform well and meet and exceed their expectations as far as your intentions and your behavior. So if you have positive experiences and you meet and exceed your partner's expectations over and over and over and over, you're building greater sense of trust. Every time you, you fail to meet them, you're chipping away at the trust that exists. Now trust is, is something that is like, it's the, the temperature. It's something that moves up and down and oscillates based upon things that happened, things that happened in the past, and things that are happening now, right? It doesn't just stay at some static level, it's dynamic. And when you're in a relationship with the female, it can be very dynamic based upon different things that happen. You're never gonna get of your partners to trust you 100%. It's never gonna happen. They're always gonna be somewhat vigilant and they're always gonna be looking around. You can build up a high level of trust, but then you do one little thing and you know trust you a little bit less, right? What you wanna do is make sure that you're behaving in proper ways, and we're gonna talk about what that means, every day and every day going forward so that you can build trust, maintain it, build a strong foundation. Two other words in this definition, intentions and behaviors. Again, so the definition being vulnerable based upon positive expectations of another's intentions and behaviors. Intentions are all about what is my, my intent? What do they expect me to be doing? Do they believe I have, does my partner believe I have good intentions? that I want the best for them, or are they not sure about my intentions? If somebody is not sure about my intentions, say your wife isn't sure about yours, it's gonna impact her ability to make herself vulnerable to you, right? So intentions are important. And behaviors, behaviors are the ultimate outcome. Um, your intentions might be good, but if your behaviors don't back it up, you're not reliable and you're not competent, then it's gonna to lead to lower levels of trust. Now three things happen, there's, there's other, but three core things happen when you build a strong level of trust, and this is from the research. 
Number one, it enhances cooperation. So two people in having a high level of trust, they cooperate better. You know, they, they know that each person has positive intentions. They know that their partner has behaviors that are reliable and consistent. So I'm gonna cooperate more. Number two, it increases commitment in the relationship. So if you wanna build a stronger commitment in your relationship, you build a higher level of trust. The greater the trust, the greater the commitment. And third, it increases openness in communication. So if somebody is trusting you more, they're gonna be more open in their communication. They're gonna make themselves more vulnerable in their communication. That only makes sense, and none of these three things are shocking in any way. But we can see if we work and we build on trust, we have positive outcomes. Our cooperation is greater, the commitment in the relationship is greater, and it's more open communications. Okay, let's get on to three dimensions of trust. We're gonna talk about cognitive trust. That has to do with confidence, reliability, and, and integrity. Effective trust, that has to do with benevolence and care and consideration. And third is behavioral trust. And it has to do with congruency. So my words, my body language, the things that, I all, that I'm doing, they're congruent. When I walk into the room and the way I behave and my body language, it's open, accessible, it's safe, it's attentive, it's not threatening, I'm not gazing at somebody. Um, my girlfriend or wife doesn't look at me and feel incongruency. I'm saying one thing, but my body language is saying another. That's not trusting, okay? Um, and we're also gonna talk about needy and controlling behaviors and why that's not trusted. But first of all, cognitive trust. This is about competence, reliability, and integrity. It has to do with your skills, your knowledge, your ability to do things and get things done. If you're competent and you can get things done, um, your partner is going to trust you more on that specific um, piece of things. Uh, I'm competent to lead, I'm competent to make decisions, I'm competent to pick up the kids from school, I display competence at work, um, I'm, I'm knowledgeable and I have skills. That gives my partner greater confidence and they can trust in my ability to execute things, right? Um, another component of cognitive trust is reliability. And reliability comes from repeated interactions over and over in which I demonstrate that I'm reliable and I'm consistent. And then integrity has to do with a set of principles from which I operate. And my principles are consistent. My partner can see this. They know that I'm, I don't just bend in the wind rather easily. I have a set of principles. I behave within those principles. And so my partner can trust that. Okay, so that's cognitive trust. And so you might say, um, I've heard people say things before like, well, I'm, I'm a trustworthy person. Um, I always, you know, I pick up the kids and I can, um, I, I deliver on what I say I'm gonna do and I get up and I go to work and I'm very trusting in that respect. You can be very trusting on a cognitive um, trust element. There's other elements and other dimensions of trust where you can fail on. And that's where trust can also be blown away. So you gotta work on all the dimensions of trust. The second dimension is effective trust. This has to do with benevolence and care and consideration. This has to get to your intentions. 
If your wife diminish her ability to trust you, right? So for example, if your wife comes to you, wants a divorce, then you're fighting it and you're arguing about it and you're telling her, you know, you love her and you just need to give her a chance and work on things. Well, first of all, she's going to, listening to you, she's going to think that you're not acknowledging what she says, you're not listening to her, you don't understand how she feels. Also, in terms of your benevolence, she's going to feel you don't care about her and want the best for her. So we know on this element, this dimension of trust, if your partner and your wife uh, does not feel you want the best for her, she's going to be suspect of you. She's going to trust you less. You have to demonstrate care and consideration and benevolence in order for them to trust you in the terms of effective trust. So that means if my wife comes to me and wants a divorce and I say, look, you know what, this is not what I want. If this is what you want, you're going to have to do all the work and file the paperwork and all that. And, and I'm not going to be part of it because I love you and I want our marriage to work. She's going to take that very harshly. She's not going to feel that you're benevolent. She's not going to feel that you have care and consideration for her. So therefore what? She's not going to trust you as much. Other than that, she's, she's going to look at you as being a very selfish person for saying those things, right? If you want to increase trust, you have to demonstrate benevolence. And that comes through how you speak to your wife or your partner, comes through your actions and your behaviors. They feel, they see, they hear you want the best for them. If you tell them you support their decisions, you want what's best for them, if they want a divorce, you're willing to cooperate and make this that process as, go by as smoothly as possible. Now they can start to feel your benevolence and that you want what's best for them. They can start to trust you more. So be very careful um, when you're speaking to your partner, when they're expressing their emotions and their moods about something and how you listen to them and respond to them. You have to demonstrate benevolence in order to build trust from that dimension. All right, so that's cognitive trust, uh, and that's effective trust there. We're also gonna talk about behavioral trust next. Behavioral trust has to do with the set of behaviors that you do, that you're, that you're seen doing, that your partner um, feels in terms of your presence and your body language and how you're acting. So first of all, let's just talk about um, in terms of free and loving behavior versus needy and controlling, right? So if I'm a free and loving person, then I am, I operate in a, in a way that I have a set of principles. And if my wife comes to me for and wants a divorce, I can say something like, listen, I support you. I love you and I want our marriage to work, but I want the best for you. And if this is what you want, I'm going to support you. I'm being free and loving. It's not conditional love. It's free and loving love. And I'm not letting her control me in any way. I'm expressing myself that I care for her and love her, but I'm not being needy and I'm not being controlling. She can trust my behaviors. I'm not manipulative. 
if she comes to me and wants a divorce or a separation, and I, I start talking about how much I love her, and, and I love you, and we need to just talk through this, and why can't we just talk through this more? And then two days later, I'm texting her or calling her and, and asking her again, can we get together and talk about this? You know, can we just talk? If I'm acting needy like that, she's not going to trust me, is she? Needy behavior um, signals something to the female. It signals that something is wrong with you. Why are you so desperate? What is wrong with you that you're acting this way? Remember, um, needy behavior um, is almost evokes in, in the female a feeling of disgust. And disgust is a, a very instinctually emotive feeling that causes somebody to reject something. So if I'm eating some food and I see a bug crawling in it, what is my natural reaction? Spit the food out. It's a very autonomic reaction. I spit the food out, it's gross, I reject it. Needy behavior, the research shows this, is looked at in many, many ways as a disgusting behavior um, from a man, from a masculine man to behave that way and it's disgusting to females and they reject it. They don't know exactly why you're acting so needy, but it signals to them something's wrong. Like think about it, if you're a sickly person and you're not doing well and you're sick, you're going to behave in perhaps in a more needy manner. So. Women don't know why you're behaving needy, but it signals to them something is wrong with you, so they reject it. Now, you can always have to assess, well, what is needy behavior, right? Needy behavior comes from unbalanced behaviors. So, for example, if I text my girlfriend at 11 a.m., she doesn't reply, I text her again at 12.30, and I say, hey, what are you doing? How come you're not texting me back? And then I text her an hour later, hey, what's going on? How come you're not texting me? And she's just at work, right? She's gonna look at this when she finally gets back to texting me and she's gonna say something like, hey, I'm, I've been busy, I've been in meetings, I'm just getting back to texting you now, everything's okay, can you let me breathe? All right, she's feeling your neediness. Neediness signals insecurities. Insecurities are red flags to a female. Um, so needy behaviors always has to be balanced, right? If I text my girlfriend and she texts me back, and then I text her an hour later and she texts me back, that's not needy, it's balanced, it's back and forth, right? It's if the other person isn't engaging with me and I'm messaging her a lot or asking to speak to her, asking where she's at in, in an excessive manner, it starts to come off as needy and that's rejected and not trusted. Controlling behavior can be, um, it's not trusting either. If I'm controlling, then I'm trying to control what my wife or girlfriend is doing. You know, what time are you gonna be home? How come you're not home yet? Where are you? What's going on? How come you're not texting me back? All of that is controlling behavior. And so that's viewed as a red flag and potentially dangerous, right? Because controlling behavior leads to bad things. Why does this person want to control me? Again, it signals that you have insecurities. Because if you didn't have insecurities, you wouldn't be doing those things. And again, somebody is not going to trust you. A woman's not going to trust you if you're behaving in a controlling way. So what you want to do is behave in a very secure manner, a high-level manner. 
not controlling, not needy, right? If I text my girlfriend and she's at work and she doesn't answer, I let her text me back when she has time. She's, I just set this in, she's busy. Um, she's doing whatever, she'll get back to me. No big deal. All right, so no neediness, no controlling behavior. Those things are not trusted. Let's just talk about body language now and attentive listening and how that works to build trust. Um, attentive listening is about listening to another person in a specific way so they feel appreciated, understood, acknowledged, and special. And we can do that if we listen to them and our, our partners in a specific way. It has to do with eye contact and facial. And when she's talking to me, I'm maintaining eye contact and I'm using appropriate cooperative and open facial gestures. So I'm nodding my head, which shows I'm in agreement, I'm listening. I tilt my head to the side occasionally. That signals openness and vulnerability. I smile back at her if it's appropriate when she's talking to me um, to show openness and warmth. And I'm doing those things in combination as I maintain eye contact. If I do those things uh, right, and then when she's done, she's done speaking, my words are, hey, you know, thank you for sharing with me. I appreciate what you have to tell me. And um, based upon what you're telling me, here's, here's what I heard. If I do this right, she then feels acknowledged, special, understood. And here's how the science of eye contact and body language works. First of all, in terms of body language, body language it done right, and kind of how I was explaining, it demonstrates presence. I am present with you. That's what it does. Um, our brains have a thing called mirror neurons, which are um, designed to pick up other people's body language. And when people do certain body gestures and facial gestures, we feel it. We feel it because we, we, we've evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to understand what those facial and body gestures tell us. So the appropriate body gestures indicate presence, that the other person is present with me and people pick it up, again, instinctually. And then if I maintain eye contact over 30 to 60 seconds and I'm doing it the right way, the other person will feel it, right? They will release oxytocin into their body if done right. And releasing oxytocin makes them feel more trusting in me makes them feel more bonded and special. Has to be done um, over a 30 to 60 second period of time. And if I do it and I maintain strong eye contact in unison with the right body gestures that are open and cooperative body gestures, um, I'm likely to have this happen. And every time I do that, my partner, people that I'm, anybody that I'm speaking to will start to feel a greater bond with me. They'll feel more trusted with me. So this is another way to enhance and build trust. Remember, you don't just stare at somebody. If you're with your partner and they're not speaking to you and you're not speaking to them and you're just trying to look into their eyes, they're probably going to ask you why you're staring at them. Don't look at somebody like this unless you're in a conversation. Don't do it. If they're not, if they have a hard time keeping their eyes on you, 
you maintain eye contact as appropriate and work to build it. Okay, it's just something that's built upon over time. Don't just stare at somebody and don't just stare at somebody without being in the conversation like this because they're gonna feel it's awkward and weird. And don't just maintain eye contact without doing the body gestures appropriately, all right? You can also do this when you're speaking to your partner. It's the same way. If you're speaking to your partner and you're talking to them and you maintain extended eye contact, you use the facial gestures, which are you know, nodding of the head, raising of the eyebrows as you nod your head, submissive smiles as appropriate, tilting your head to the side, and also using um, palms open positive hand gestures to indicate your presence um, you're going to be doing the same thing. You're maintaining extended eye contact, 30 to 60 seconds. You're using the appropriate facial and body gestures. And if you do these things right, the other person and you will have oxytocin releases, which build a feeling of safety and trust. The other thing about both attentive listening and attentive speaking that happens is when you're interested in somebody, your pupils dilate. And so if I'm listening to my girlfriend or wife and my pupils are dilated, they will subconsciously pick it up and they will feel it and see it. And then they will know that I'm interested in them and in the conversation. And that makes me and that feeling of being more attracted to them. And so it signifies attraction and interest. So that's another positive thing that happens. So we can do a lot with extended eye contact facial and body gestures to demonstrate our presence and dilated pupils. All of these things work to build a sense of trust and the more you do it effectively, you'll build a more deeper sense of openness and trust and feelings of being safe and bonded with your partner over time. All right, so that's uh, the three dimensions of trust. And we said again, cognitive trust, which has to do with competence, reliability, integrity. Effective trust, which has to do with benevolence and care and consideration. And behavioral trust, how your body represents yourself. Is your body congruent with what you're saying? Are you behaving in free and loving ways or are you needy or controlling? And how we use attentive listening and attentive speaking to build a deeper sense of trust. So, reframe the question. Don't ask yourself, you know, can I trust her? You want to say, I'm the masculine partner, I'm leading the relationship from a trust standpoint. How do I need to behave so that my partner feels that they can trust me, so that they can feel safe with me, right? And that they're attracted to me. And if you do those things, you'll be in a much better position to build a strong foundation of trust and a beautiful relationship. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Climbing Henge Podcast.